Thank you so much, Whole Life Church Retreat, for such a warm welcome, and thank you, Big Mike, for, uh, for you know, preparing him to, to make me feel welcome. So thank you so much. And, and I just want to say, Mike, I, I appreciated the intro, but man, I did not enjoy reliving that trauma. Like, it's real up there. It is, it is no joke up there in Michigan. I remember the first night that, that we, Brittany and I, showed up uh, to Michigan. It snowed 18 inches that night, right? I mean, that's more snow than I had ever seen in Georgia. And so we show up. We had, didn't have any food. I remember waking up the next morning, and I had a Toyota four-wheel drive truck, and I was like, I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to show Michigan what's up. And like, nothing's going to be open. I remember going to this Panera thinking it's going to be closed. Everything closes in Georgia. If there's a chance of snow, it closes. And I just drove out, and the, the roads were already plowed, and Panera was full of people, and it just it blew my mind. Uh, but, but the seasonal effective thing, it's real. Um, Michigan is where I started drinking coffee because of that. I just needed something. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Mike, for, for helping me remember that, that trauma. Um, it's so good to be here with you guys. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but... But this retreat is amazing. Like, let's give it up to whoever's planning. I have never seen a retreat quite like this. Florida Hospital, not Florida Hospital, I'm sorry, my bad. It will always be Florida Hospital. But um, whole life, whole life retreat. Sorry about that, Pastor Ken. I've never seen a retreat like this. And uh, so, so good to be here uh, with you guys today. Uh, before we continue, though, let's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this time where our attention is on you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as, as we open the word and as we talk for just a couple of minutes, that you, would, that you would translate, that you would help us to hear some of these verses and maybe these stories that, you know, if we grew up in church, we've heard these all, you know, many, many times before. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear them fresh, and that they would sink into our hearts and our souls today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So I want to introduce my family here on the screen for just a second. I have a, a family photo that was taken this summer. We did a, a month-long road trip around the country, and we still love each other, so praise the Lord for that. Um, that's my lovely wife, Brittany, and then I have two girls. Adeline is our oldest, she's nine years old, and Eden is our youngest, she is seven years old. And now let me just tell you what, I love being a girl dad. We got, we got any girl dads in the house? All right, yes, I love being a girl dad. Um, and so this morning, I want to tell a story, we can, we can take the picture away. I want to tell the story about my youngest, Eden. Um, a couple of years ago, actually it was several years ago, she just turned seven, so she was about two years old, and we were having a we were having a, this outdoor church event at our neighbor or sister church uh, just down the road from GCA, and so we were all going to go to this this church event. It was going to be a great time. It was going to be outside, and in typical pastor family fashion, I had to leave like an hour early and get there early, so we didn't ride together. But the plan was that I was going to show up, and I was going to help set up and do some things uh, before it started, and Brittany and the girls were going to show up later. And so I get there, and I'm doing the setup thing, and it's about to start, and I remember I'm standing in the parking lot. It was a gravel 
parking lot, and I'm standing in the parking lot, and I see my family pull in, right? They, they, they park, I see them getting out, I'm talking to some people, um, I see them start to walk, and then Adeline sees me. And she sees me, and she does the typical, like, beautiful daughter thing. She's like, Daddy, right? She starts running at me, and it's like she'd never seen me before, and it makes you feel so good every time. And she's like, Daddy, and she's, she's running at me, and of course, I bend over, and I, and I pick her up. I'm like, hey, and then I throw her up in the air, right? And we have this moment. It's like this perfect father-daughter moment, and I, and I, I hold her, and I'm like, hey, how are you? And, and then Eden, you know, she She's a little bit younger, and, and so she's like not far behind, but it takes a little bit longer for her to notice me, and then she sees me, and she's like, Dada, right? And so she starts running as fast as her little legs could take her, and right? And so I do the same thing, and I have Adeline in one arm, I bend over, and I grab Eden, and I pick her up, and it was going to be this amazing moment. And so as I'm picking her up, you know, her, her little booty starts to slide back in my arm a little bit. Hey, well, you, we're not even there yet. Will you guys calm down? Word. Actually, maybe, anyway. Um, so her little booty starts to slide back, right? And normally when you're holding a kid and, and, you know, maybe if they start to slide back or if they start to slide down, what you would normally do is you kind of throw them up a little bit, right? And then you kind of resituate them and, and adjust your hold on them. And so, and so that's what I did. I, I threw her up just a little bit to resituate. And as she did that, her weight goes further back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So normally... What you would do, if you're doing that, if that happens, you would just take your arm and you would reach around and you grab her and it's all good, everything's good, but I had another kid in my other arm. Guys, it was an accident, okay? I don't know who, didn't mean to. Like I said, you know, preaching is a cathartic thing. I'm working out my own guilt in front of you guys here today. So as, you know, as I situated her, her, her weight goes back, I couldn't reach around to grab her because I had Adeline in my, in my left arm, and I, I tried, but I didn't do a thing to help, and she falls back, and she slips, and she falls right on her head. You guys need to, we, okay, we're going to talk about judgment right now. We're going to talk about, do not judge, or you too will be judged, right? <laughs> Let me finish my story. I'll get through this. So, so she falls. You know, she falls down, and it's one of those things, parents, if you're with me on this, maybe you've done something like this to your kids. Maybe you haven't. <laughs> All right. What's the closing song, Albert? Let's just, let's just be done. And, and, um, so she falls down, it happens, and for those of you who don't know, most of you don't know what this is like, it happened so fast and it happened in slow motion all at the same time, right? She falls, she hits her head, she turns over, you know, kind of to pick herself up, and it was like she had to take a minute before she screamed. It wasn't like a, ah, you know, immediately, it was like she said, wait, everybody, wait. Let me do some lung exercises first. And she takes a breath, and she just screams, ah, right? And I, and I put Adeline down, and I bend over, and I'm like, Eden, are you okay? And she's like, no, mommy. 
And I'm like, Eden, it's okay. And she says, no, you dropped me on my head, you worthless. No, she didn't say that. But she thought about it. I could tell that she was thinking about it. And she's like, mommy. And I didn't argue with her. Normally, I might consider thinking, hey, daddy's here. Daddy's got it. Is it okay? I was like, no, okay, mommy. Let's go find mommy. And so I pick her up and I hand her to Brittany. And she is just screaming. And I feel awful. And then I notice in the back of her head and her blonde, little blonde hair, that there's blood coming off of the back of her head. So then I feel even worse. And I, and I go and I grab, I run over. There's a couple of doctors that, that were in our group. And so I run over and I grab them and they come over. And in typical doctor fashion, you know, doctors, you really need to work on your, like, your manners. Like they take a look at her head and they're like, oh, it's going to be fine. Like, it is not fine. I dropped her on her head, and she is bleeding from her head. It is not going to be fine. She'll be fine. You know, put some ice on it. And they were right. She was fine. Thank you very much. She was, she was fine. Because, you know, and this is another thing that's just crazy with little kids is you drop them, and then, like, ten minutes later, they're running around. Like, nothing happened. Like, she's got a red spot in her head, and she was running around, and everything was fine, except... For me, the rest of the night, my gut, right, my heart was just hurting. I felt so bad, and she's running around, and I'm like, is she okay? And she, she was fine, and at the end of the night, you know, the sun had set, everything's dark, people are leaving, there's a bunch of lights around because the cars are pulling out, and we're walking to the car, and I just couldn't help it, right? So I pick her up, and I hold her, and I look at her, and I said, Eden, and she's like, yeah, what's up? Like, Eden, I am so sorry that I dropped you. You know, Daddy feels so, so bad that I, that I dropped you on your head. I'm so sorry, Eden. I'm like grabbing her. And this is so much deeper for me than it was for her, right? I'm like, Eden, can you please forgive Dad? And here's what she said. She said, yeah. Hey, look at the lights over there. And that was it. She was like, yeah, look at the lights, Dada. Right, it, it was interesting to me how easy it was for her to extend forgiveness. It did not take any emotional energy for her to extend grace to someone who had dropped her on her head, right? It was just like that. Of course, I'll forgive you. Hey, look at that, right? Yeah, we're good. You're not good. You obviously need to work some things out, but we're good, all right? Look at the lights over there. It was so easy for her. Didn't take any emotional energy to extend grace. You know, grace... It's one of those things that we love to receive, right? When we've done something wrong, we've hurt somebody's feelings, when we've, you know, you know, crossed the line or did something we know that we shouldn't have done and someone extends grace to us when we don't deserve it, we love that feeling. It feels good, but it's a little bit different, right, when someone does something to you. 
It's a little different when, when someone has wronged you, someone has crossed the line with you, or they've hurt you, and then they, you know, and they maybe want forgiveness. It's so much different when it comes to us extending grace, but grace, either way, is one of those beautiful things. It's something that I really, uh, I, I don't feel like I fully understood until recently in my life, and, and I missed it somehow growing up in the church, but it's one of those beautiful concepts that I just want to talk about here today. And, and if you've grown up in the church, you, you probably memorized this verse. You can't talk about grace, I feel like, without going to Ephesians chapter 2. And so uh, if you'd like to follow along, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 today as we continue to talk about this concept. It's one of the most beautiful attributes of God, and that is His grace, right? Um, so, so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. That word is introduced. The word of the day is introduced, right? That it, it, it's a beautiful word. It's one of those timeless words. It's been around for a long time, but it has not lost its meaning, right? It, it, it's one of those, those words that, that, that we just appreciate and we love, especially when it's given to us. And, and, and it says, and Paul is very clear, he says, you have been saved by grace. That you getting your life together is not a prerequisite to receiving it. It continues. He says, if you have been saved by grace through faith, this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. That grace is who God is and it is your faith that initiates its reception. That it's such a beautiful idea. It's one of those principles that it just seems too simple. And I feel like that's why the church has tried to complicate it a little bit. It's just too easy, right? It's too simple. It can't be that simple. There has to be something, Stephanie. There has to be something that we have to do in order to receive that grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. I, you know, we could continue to unpack what Paul has to say about it. But today I want to do something a little bit different when it comes to this topic. I want to talk about the, this New Testament principle by using an Old Testament stories, all right? Today we're going to switch back into the Old Testament. So oftentimes I think we think that the Old Testament God, uh, there's no grace in the Old Testament, but I want to talk about the God who is just a God of grace. It doesn't matter which Testament we're talking about here today. So we're going to be looking at one of my favorite Bible stories, and that is Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Now, growing up as a little boy, I loved Joshua and the battle of of Jericho. There's many reasons why I love this story. The first reason, right, is because the, the main character is Joshua. I think that's a pretty cool name, right? Most Joshuas I know are, are, are pretty cool dudes, and so I like that part of it. I knew he had to be a pretty cool guy, and so the, the second reason I like this story as a little boy growing up was, was that it was one of those wonder-filled stories, right? As a little boy, it's a, it's a, it's a war story where there's, you know, where there's like battle and, and the power of God and, and, you know, this, this interesting thing that they had him, them do walking around the city. And so it was just an awesome story. But one of the main reasons I liked the story was because of the song, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. So we're going to turn today to Joshua chapter 2, but before we get there, let's talk just a little bit about the context. So the context of Joshua chapter 2, if you go back 600 years um, before Joshua, God pulls Abraham out into the stars one night. 
He pulls Abraham out into the stars and he says, Abraham, you are going to be a father of many nations. Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. This will be the number of your descendants that you have received God's special blessing and your people will inherit this land, Abraham, as an inheritance. But before all that happens, they're going to be exiled in Egypt for 400 years and, and, and then they will receive this promised land. And so all these things come true. Abraham's descendants, they end up going, you know, going to Egypt, they're enslaved and then they're, and then they're delivered and all, that thing, all those things happen. But during that 400 year period, Abraham's former neighbors did what you do over 400 years. They multiplied and they became, you know, they developed cultures and subcultures and they became the Amorites and the, the you know, the, all the other, the Jebusites and the, all the other sites, right? But their culture was abhorrent, right? They were into idol worship. They were into child sacrifice, incest, abusive women, and the list just goes on and on and on. So that brings us to the beginning of our story with the Israelites standing on the edge of the promised land. And it starts off like any good war story. And we saw the skit last night um, about this story. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who have come and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Verse four, it says, but the, women, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came, but I did not know where they had come from and I don't know where they went. They were here, but I think they went that way. You better run and you better catch them before they're gone, right? And so the guards, they run off on this wild goose chase into the wilderness and search for the spies. And after they're gone, she goes up on the roof where they're hidden and she has a conversation with the two spies. And this conversation gives us a glimpse into the mindset of Rahab and it gives us a glimpse into the perspective of the people and of the Canaanites. So here's what she says, or here's what it happens in verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land. So she starts first by speaking for herself. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land, which means it's not our land. It was his in the first place, and he has given it to your people. So I know this, Lord, this land is yours, and that great fear of you has fallen on us. Now she's speaking not just for herself, but she's speaking for everybody there in the city. She said, great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you and your God. Verse 10 says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts, again speaking for everyone, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Listen to this. It says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. 
She knew who God was. They knew who God was. They were at least aware of the fact that this land was not their land. They knew that, that this was the one true God, but notice the difference in their response. The people of Jericho are preparing for battle, but this Canaanite, pagan, party planner, as we talked about last night, this Canaanite, pagan, uh, lady with a sketch uh, profession, she professes faith in God. Here's what, here's what she says in verse 12. Well, and she, well she, we, we don't have the verse here, but, but what she says in verse 12 is she, she turns to the spies and she has a conversation with them, right? She expresses faith first and then she says, listen, can you please swear to me that you will save me and my family? When you, when you come to destroy the city, will you please save me? I believe that your God is the God of heaven and, and above and below, and so please Save me and my family. And so the guards or the spies agree to save her. They said to, to hang out a scarlet cord off the wall. And I can't help but notice the symbolism, right? That when they're there attacking, they see the red scarlet cord. They know to save her. I can't help but notice the connection maybe to, to Passover, right? When they had to put the blood on the doorposts. And the angel passed over and they were, they were saved. And so then we turn to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 3. And God gives Joshua some unusual battle tactics. Here's what it says. March around the city. Verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now, the question I have to ask is, is why would God do this? Nowhere else in, in Scripture has this been asked of, of anybody going into battle. Why wouldn't he have them go into, into battle using normal battle Tactics. I mean, was he trying to get them to get their steps in? Was this a health message or a precursor to the health message? I'm not really sure, but why would God do this? Could it be? Could it be that the Lord gave the people of Jericho six nights to sleep on their decision to oppose God and his people? Could it be? That God was trying to give them as much time as possible to reconsider their decision to fight against God and his people. There is no doubt in my mind that God would have honored 10,000 cords hanging off the walls of Jericho. Could it be that God was working with them, longing that they would change their mind, extending a little bit more time so that they would reconsider whether or not to oppose God? And so on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. And after the seventh lap, they blew their horns. And as the song says, the walls came a-tumbling down. And then chaos gripped the city. Fear gripped the city. And the Israelite armies, they march in and, and they destroyed, right? And everything at the end of the day, everything was gone except for Rahab and her family, right? And at the end of the day, all because of the faith of a Canaanite pagan woman with a sketch profession and her family, they were saved. For it is by grace you have been saved.
She didn't do anything to deserve it. She just professed faith in God. And Joshua sent the spies in and they, and they saved her family. For it is by grace you have been saved. Her and her family were saved by the faith of a Canaanite pagan woman with a sketch profession. But then look at verse 25 here. Verse 25, as this story ends, it says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And get this last phrase here. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That at the time of the writing of this book, she was living among the Israelites. I don't want to rush past this phrase this morning. A Canaanite, pagan prostitute who would have otherwise been shunned by society for her lifestyle. She became a daughter of Abraham and a daughter of the covenant. Despite her past, despite her life, despite her lifestyle, because of her faith and her trust in God, she was saved on that day. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourself, it is a gift of God. And what's interesting is she didn't become an outcast of Israelite society. Right? They didn't just like bring her in and be like, well, this is the person we agreed to save, and so I guess she can be a part of it, but she's going to stay on the outskirts of Israelite society. She became a prominent figure in Israel. Because if we go to Matthew chapter 1 and we read those genealogies, those useless, worthless genealogies that if you're reading your Bible in the, in the early in the morning, you just kind of gloss over it. This person begat this person. This person begat this person. They're, they're, why is that even in there, Right? It says that there was a man by the name of Salmon who saw in Rahab a beautiful woman and he asked for her hand in marriage. And together they had a son whose name was Boaz. And Boaz had a son whose name was Obed. And Obed had a son who was named, whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son who was named King David. And if you continue reading in those worthless genealogies in Matthew chapter 1, you continue to read down, it eventually comes to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And Rahab. A Canaanite pagan prostitute eventually became the mother of kings and it was her lineage that birthed the savior of the world. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it was because of Rahab that on that day God extended grace to her and it is because of Rahab and her faith that the road was paved for God to eventually extend grace to you and to me. You know, the story of Rahab, it's not all that different from my story. And it's not all that different from your story. Right? That before Rahab met those spies, she carried a label. 
right? Everyone in the city, her neighbors, her customers, her friends, her family, they all knew her by her profession. That is who she was. That was how she was identified. That was the label that she was carried, but that she carried. But when given the opportunity to profess faith in God and his power, she was transformed and she received a new label, a child of Abraham and the daughter of the covenant, and the mother of kings. And for many of you here today, you've carried a label. You've carried a label. And that label is different for every single person, right? That, that label may represent a struggle that you've had in your life. That label may be something that other people have placed on you. That label may be something that you have placed on yourself. That label may represent something that happened to you years and years and years ago, and you still carry that label with you every single day. We all have that, right? And it may be that label that is causing shame in your life, and that shame may be keeping you at an arm's length from your Father in heaven that you just can't go back, that there's no way that you are good enough to go back to your Heavenly Father. There's no way based on that label or the things that you've done in your life that your Father in Heaven will ever accept you back. And if that is you, I'd like for you to consider this for just a second. Isn't it interesting that the spies never asked her to stop her ways before they agreed to saving her? Isn't it interesting that they never even discussed her profession? They never asked her to quit doing what she was doing before they agreed to save her. They did not judge her profession of faith. They didn't sit there and be like, you know what? It's a little bit convenient that we're about to destroy your city and all of a sudden you believe in God. They did not judge her profession of faith. They did not, they did not require her to get her act together before they, give, they extended grace to her. No. They extended it to her because that is what grace is. It is a free gift of God. Now, listen, did she eventually change? It seems like it. But I think it was a process. And grace did not come after there was a change. It was the power of grace. It was the beauty of grace that compelled her to change. I think, you know, Stephanie kind of talked about a little bit of the baggage with the we're, you know, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I think we, we kind of gloss over the grace part and we go to the good works part. We notice what came first. It was the grace. And because of that grace, we're compelled to change because we allow the spirit in us then through him, not by ourselves, because we can't be boasting about that. Then we change. Mercy and love and grace are revelations of God's character. That is who God is. God is love. God is mercy. And God is grace. And he extends that grace to you right now. And he extends that grace to me because that is who God is. And it is for that reason that we should praise him even more. You know, this whole weekend, the, 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 theme is, the theme is here, follow me just as you are. I think that oftentimes we feel like we need to clean house before the house cleaner comes over. 
I think that so often we, we allow our labels and we allow the things in our life that are causing us to struggle to keep us from being close to God. But how about just follow me, Jesus says, just as you are and allow me to do the change and the moving and the working in your life. As Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being an amazing God. We thank you for your grace. We do not deserve it, but Lord, you give it to us because you want to spend time with us. You want to be with us. Lord, please allow us to shed those labels, not by our power, but because of your grace and help us to step into the new reality that you have for us, a new life, an abundant life, and a life that is full of peace because you have given us your love and your forgiveness and your grace. We pray this in your name.